Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome back to the show today. We are doing a series on getting to know the, the fellas on the Gospel for Life. We are, what was the phrase you used the other day? Lifting the veil. <laughs> Lifting the veil, yep, yep. But apparently, this is a very uninteresting series because... We can't even keep the pastors here in the room with us. It's been rough. I mean, <laughs> we're down to two of us. Yeah. Apparently, our lives are so repulsive that we're just driving people away. It's fascinating to me that um, I'm, I'm taking full responsibility for this series. So, once again, send everything to joshbale78 at gmail.com. Um, all your concerns. That Part of it was we have two guys that we do this radio program with, with Phil and, and Jonathan, that are seasoned ministers. They've been in ministry, I don't know, my guess is close to 40 years each. And so part of it was selfish on my part. I, I wanted to hear their stories and their insight and, and their um, reflections on a life of ministry. And then they never show up. And so I, I don't... <laughs> so we're stuck with asking questions about church and ministry and the gospel with uh well two I mean, kids really yeah, pretty much i mean especially me but you know whatever <laughs> okay so um kind of a you know one side of the coin the other side of the coin questions today so first question is is what trends in the church today have you excited the other side of the coin is what trends in the church today have you concerned Maybe we start with the positive one first okay i was going to start with the negative so oh, okay. well you we know can, we you're can a end more with the positive, positive that's fine okay um <laughs> For the concerned aspect, maybe my greatest concern is the just rampant individualism um, that exists in the in the church in the West. Um, I think over time the church has lost the the concept of uh, the one another passages of the New Testament, which are very very extensive. There's this sense, almost a consumerism then, that that comes into the church. Um, what does church have to offer me? What do I get from the church? Um, when there are issues in the church, people then talk about the church as if it's something other than them. Mm-hmm. So there's not this sen- corporate sense that they are the church. They're part of the church. So if there's an issue with the church, they're either part of the problem or part of the solution, um, and you hear it. And um, when people talk, it's as if they're talking about something that's not them. Mm-hmm. And then you want to pause and say, "Wait, you do know you're a member. You do know you're a part of this church. So if you're talking about the issues in the church, that's you, right?" But it, I think it's just indicative of this individualism. Mm-hmm. Um, that exists within the church. So I just preached on Sunday, 1 Corinthians 14, mm-hmm. 1 through 19, dealing with tongues. 
versus prophecy. And the the context is corporate worship, right? Mm -hmm. And Paul, um, he says, look, the person who speaks in tongues builds up himself. The person who prophesies builds up the church. Setting aside those particular circumstances, he's saying public edification in the corporate worship setting is is way more vital, way more important than your private experience. Mm -hmm. And um, that's that's essentially what he says like five or six times throughout the text. Again, tongues and prophecy was the particulars there, but that principle runs today. We we have this idea that use the word consumerism, where we go to church for my sake, what can I get out of it? How does this serve me? How can I benefit? And that's the exact opposite view of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, I was gonna say, you said in rampant individualism, <coughs> I was gonna say something just slightly different. The idea of disposable church. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the thing that that has me most concerned, whether it's disposable from the perspective of, uh, I'm tired of this church, I'm gonna go church shopping, or what we saw a lot in um, 2020 and, and partly in 2021, I'm just not gonna go to church altogether. Um, that That's greatly concerning to me. Um, that is not the way that God designed the church. God designed the church for our good, for, I mean, it's like compared to eating food or drinking the sincere milk of the word, or, um, I mean, it, it's it's not only the fourth commandment, it's, it's our duty. Hebrews tells us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So to have this view of a disposable church, I, I, that really troubles me. Sometimes in my church, I talk about that life is is like a, a plate um, that you can fill with food. Um, there's only so much food that you can put on the plate. Um, so to put one food on is to take something off. It, it's just a give or take. And I always compare this to um, eating with my in-laws, with my mother-in-law um, at Christmas or Thanksgiving. We always have prime rib. And so there are a ton of salads and, and sides and all of the rest. You're making me really hungry right now. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> but the bottom line is the main thing is the prime rib. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to fill my plate with all of these sides so that I don't have room for the prime rib. Yeah. And sometimes what I would then compare that to is that's church is the prime rib of life. Yeah. That's the best thing. Yeah. And what happens is that people, and I think this is what you're saying, at least in part, that people have chosen to put all of these other things on their plate. And if church fits, they might try to squeeze it in. And if if it doesn't fit, well, that's okay too. We'll just leave it off the plate. And there was a day in which church was the center of not just people's lives, it was the center of the village and the society and the community, that everything centered and, and focused on church life. Yeah. And we're not there anymore. And We're still worshiping, though. We're still worshiping. Be, because, what, what, and what I mean by that is that it's not as if people are have said, well, I'm not going to worship anymore. No, no. People are still worshiping. They're just choosing other things to worship. That's right. And... On the flip side of this, if we're going on the positive, what makes me the most excited might not on the surface seem like it's the most excited, but it really is, that I think that the deeper we get in the history of of the church, history of just society in general, I think we're moving towards um, a greater demarcation between the world and the church or 
those that are outside of Christ and those that are in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, so the dark is going to get darker and the light is going to get brighter. Yeah. And I find it exciting that we live in a day when we are seeing um, some of that that separation, which I think will highlight Christ more yeah. um, in the darkness that is beginning to um, creep into our society. Our society is less Christian um, with each passing generation. And I know that we're supposed to I mean, I think the reaction is supposed to be despair. Um, but to me, it actually has a little bit of hope because then I think the, the gospel becomes that much more distinct. Yeah. Um, that people are less likely to be just quote unquote casual Christians yeah. because the benefit isn't there anymore. Yeah. And so I think it will highlight um, Jesus Christ more in this age than it was even maybe 60 to 80 years ago. So again, I, I, my, my answer to so the question was, is what uh, trends in the church have you excited? Um, I agree, I think maybe a particular application. So you, you basically said a greater demarcation between the church and the world, right? Mm-hmm. So I think a uh, an application of that, this is what I had down, which is uh, the, the, um, the growth and um, proliferation of Christian education. Mm. Um, over the last two years, um, I, I think, I think for the last um, several decades, a lot of Christians have said, you know, you know, the church, the, the schools aren't teaching, you know, how to worship this God or, or that God. Education is basically, you know, neutral, and so my kids are safe in the public school system. Um, I think the last two years has demonstrated that there's no such thing as a religiously neutral education. Um, and there is had there's been a growth of of Christian schools. I know here in the Treasure Valley, um, the, kind of some of the main Christian schools are exceeding capacity, mm-hmm. and so there's a need of of churches and and, and individuals to you know um, build up Christian education. I think that's happening. And also, there's I think I'd have to check the stats to to make sure that this statement is true. But there's an increased interest in um, homeschooling. Yeah. Yep, where parents are saying, you know what, I I need to take a little bit more ownership of of what my kids are learning, and yep. whether that's in the home, whether that's Christian school, I do think both of those have an increase as people begin to realize society is no longer a friendly to the church, and I would even go further and say that society has moved to be even more antagonistic to the church. Yep. When you, you, um, I mean, you're, you're still an educator today, but you're, you kind of cut your teeth in, in public education mm-hmm. school mm-hmm. schools. Right. Um, and so I, I, I know that you'll agree with this in the Bible. Psalm 111 verse two, the psalmist says, great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. And so, um, if you're if you're wondering when I said there's no such thing as a religiously neutral education, what I mean is that all the subjects in school are meant to bring us to worship. So you love mm-hmm. history, right? Mm-hmm. Like I bet you can't read history very much before you start saying, "Oh man, God is doing wonderful things here." You you love math, like you're the you're the math dude on the Gospel for Life. Um, g- math shows God's order and logic, and mm-hmm. and so all the subjects do that. They they should bring us to praise. And I'm I'm excited that I think more and more Christians are starting to see that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just. I mean, my wife and I from the very beginning were like, well, I, I think 
we want to do homeschooling because I, I want my kids' um, kind of moral fabric to be protected. But now I'm in a, in a different place. Yes, that's true. I want that. But I also, I want them to see God and worship God in the subjects. Mm-hmm. And if that's missing, then education can actually be idolatrous. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we need to just add that Christian education doesn't mean that you do a devotional at the beginning of class and pray at the beginning of class. Right. That, that does not make a Christian school. Right. Um, and unfortunately, way too many people think that's what makes a Christian school. Yeah. A Christian school is where um, God abs- absolutely permeates every inch of the curriculum yep. and the discipline and the instruction and the the testing. That's right. Um, I had a, a, a coach. I coach um, track and field still at a, a local Christian school, and I had a, a, an assistant coach say, "I don't understand." why you don't begin practice with a prayer or, or a devotional. And I said, well, why would I? Well, we're yeah. a Christian school. I said, that's not what makes me a Christian coach. Mm-hmm. What makes me a Christian coach is everything I do with my athletes, Yeah, how I treat them, how I interact with them, the, the lessons that I hopefully talk about as we're in the practice session. How you show them how to win, how you show them how to lose. Yes, and so to me um, – that's artificial to say I'm a Christian because I pray at the beginning of practice. Yeah. No, you were Christians because we're distinct. And of course, you're, not, that we you're not against praying. No, no, no. <laughs> Pastor Russ is against praying at the beginning. <laughs> I, I'm against the tokenism yeah. that, that's there. And what I, I want to show the kids is that Christianity is, uh, is everything about who we are and everything about how we approach even the the minute details of practice, which also means school, but also means life. And this is where I'm saying that I love the opportunity that the darkness brings because it gives us the opportunity. If Christianity permeates everything about who we are, it gives us a, a greater opportunity to be light. Amen. Well, you have been listening to the Gospel for Life. We will see you next time.